Hey there. Welcome to 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. I'm Lindsay, and I'm joined by my co-host and real-life partner, Carling. We're diving into the 90s hit drama through today's lens. Get ready for our off-the-cuff commentary and peeling back the layers of the Camden family. We'll tackle everything from family rules, life lessons, and 90s fashion. Join us every week for a light-hearted queer perspective and a trip down memory lane. Whether you're a die-hard fan or new to the show, this recap is for you. So find us anywhere you get your podcasts at 7th Heaven, a lesbian recap. And then they didn't know, like, my. I think my mom was just like, oh, Devin's just like a fat little kid. So like, maybe <laughs> <laughs> she just doesn't like running. Yes, Carling. Oh, I don't like that I sniffed right before it. Neither do I. Michelle. Hey, Carling. How are you? I'm okay. Happy Thanksgiving. <gasps> Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Happy Canadian Thanksgiving. Yeah. People it's, may be confused. Yeah. So this episode is airing on Tuesday, October 6th, 2020. No, October 6th. October 6th was like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the 16th. Oh my god, what day is it? It's the like 11th today. (laughs) 13th. Well, today is Tuesday, October 13th, 2020. (laughs) Oh man. That's just how 2020's rolling. No one knows what's what's going on. By the time people are listening to this, their bellies will be full of turkey. Probably have some leftovers. Yeah. We have got a turkey going. I already made a pumpkin cheesecake. Made some rolls. Yeah. I've got to do potatoes. Yeah. Some sort of vegetable. Will there be gravy? Oh, of course. Oh, okay. But I make it out of a packet. Yeah. Oh, that's like. That's the way I roll. They've perfected the. Right? Yeah. Um, That's so nice that we're, we're having like a little impromptu. Like I wasn't supposed to be here for Thanksgiving. Yeah. And like we kind of forgot that it was Thanksgiving. Yeah. Lindy and I were not like literally not even aware that Thanksgiving was coming up. Mm-hmm. Is it not as big in Canada as it is in America? Fine, like whenever I see American Thanksgivings, they're starting at like two in the afternoon and they eat yeah. all day and like all the cooking is done like as a group. And yeah. I think there's probably football surrounding oh, yeah. it. Is there so, is it a football thing? I'm sure. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's as big here. But not I mean, to say we're not thankful. No, yeah. But like it is definitely um, bigger when COVID's not happening, right? Yeah. So. But yeah, we were, um, Lindy was like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. You should come with me to Saskatoon to like see my family. And because I just started a job, I don't have any vacation days yet. Mm. So I was like, I can't really, like, I can't go for a day. Like it's a six yeah. hour drive. Mm-hmm. So Lindy just left today. It's Sunday that we're recording and, um, she's going to be gone for a week. So it'll just be me and 10 animals and mice Mm. i need to tell this story you guys Mm. we have mice and like the neighborhood we live in is old there's lots of fields Uh they're older houses like it's just a thing that we get so this is our second time having them but we have like the exterminator came set up bait stations i don't love that we poison them but like also like get the heck out of my Uh house Uh and you know you would think that because i have five cats that maybe mice wouldn't be something that we are faced with. Honestly, I, it, like it blows my mind yeah, because five cats. That's 
I've like I've had mice in a lot of the homes that I've lived in yeah. and yeah it's always like well I can't get a cat because I'm allergic you know well, cats cats it, help but no. I guess not well so we've discovered that they're the mice seem to be congregating behind our fridge Ugh. and we only know that because there was a lot of poop and so we have a bait station there but the cats will sit and for hours at a time just like hunch down and stare at the fridge and like they must be able to hear them and we can't but right we're, but I was we're wondering like, about that they're not mousers. They haven't done anything yet. So whatever. So then the other night, uh, I go to bed. Mm-hmm. Lindy stays up to watch TV. From the living room, I hear her yell, oh, no. <laughs> oh, and I was like, Jesus Christ, what? <laughs> so I had all the dogs with me because they're like, they just come to bed with me. And so she's like, you need to get out of here right now. So shorts and a t-shirt with no bra, I like shuffle out of the bedroom. And she said, Molly caught a mouse. So Lindy heard a shuffle, 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 and then a high-pitched squealing. (gasps) And then Molly proudly carried it into the living room, which is when she yelled. Yeah. So I closed the dogs in the bedroom. Molly was like, I don't know, skittering around. I went into the kitchen and Lindy was grabbing a bowl, I think to like try and, I don't know, catch it. (laughs) And I looked over at Molly and I assumed the mouse was dead. Right. Because it's like, isn't that like the cat catches it and kills it? I I don't know. I don't know. Um, I don't know mouse or cat, so I don't know this. So it started wiggling, like thrashing oh. around in her mouth and it was just little. And so I screamed and she dropped it and then she picked it up and ran down into the basement. Uh, and I was like. I was she like, was like, this is mine. Yeah. She was like. Don't scream. This is mine now. (laughs) So we chase her into the basement. Lindy like throws a bowl at her, I think, to try and like catch her. And that spooked her. So she dropped the mouse and the mouse ran. Uh So now we have a mouse in our basement. Uh And you'd think like, oh, good. The cat caught the mouse. But no, because we have poison stations out. The mice are eating the poison. Therefore, the cats cannot eat the mice. Right, right, right. But we made the decision to get the poison stations because our cats don't get like yeah yeah like and then what they do is they get drunk and they die and they dry up and turn to dust again i don't love it i don't love animal cruelty but here we are get out of my house honestly i mean they deserve it (laughs) (laughs) this one was really cute like he looked like a little baby and he was scared and like i have had oh sorry continue i just had so lindy and i are we're the people that like we've saved birds and driven it an hour to a rehab facility. Yes. We, I almost rescued a goose. I almost like a yeah. goose, a Canadian goose, geese, geese. That sounded weird. Goose. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So we, for over an hour, this little mouse ran behind a bookshelf and then like under the bookshelf um because they can collapse their bodies yeah we like the exterminator told us a mouse can fit in something the size of a dime a full-grown mouse and this was a like tiny i think it was very young yeah and they reproduce at like the most extreme rate and our walls are just like a super highway for these things so we have eyes on it we know it's under the bookshelf so we have to empty out the bookshelf move the bookshelf it's like hiding in a little corner we can't get to it we don't want to hurt it and we don't want to give it a heart attack. Like 
We just want to catch it. We just want to kill it. We don't want it to have a heart I attack. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to eat the poison and go and yeah. go to sleep, which is what I've been told and what I choose to believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we're like trying, trying, trying. We've, we're using books to create like a little like so it can't get out too easily because we need to get it into this shoebox. And then Lindy's like standing right in the vicinity of the mouse and I see it run to her foot. Uh, and then we lost sight of it and she was like i think it's in my pants no and so i was like take your pants off take your pants off take your pants off and so she like whips off her pajama pants and she's like is it in there is it in there and i'm like using my flashlight to like look in the pants it wasn't in her pants so then i'm like oh no there it is in the corner anyway we end up catching it after a very long amount of time and then i should look up our backyard camera footage because me in my shorts and t-shirt with no bra and Lindy in her underwear <laughs> and t-shirt and we're both barefoot running through the backyard with this box with this little tiny mouse in it and we let it go in the back alley. Oh, it's back in your house now. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, be in our house like to die in the walls, but like, so now we have towels shoved under our fridge. Yeah. Because I don't know how Molly got it. Like, I don't know if it popped out and she snatched it if she reached i don't know but anyway they're still staring at the bottom of the fridge and now lindy's gone for a week so it's me five dogs five cats and god knows how many like mouse patrol i've had so many like issues with mice that i still have like reoccurring dreams that run across you uh in your bed? No. So one ran across my bed when we lived oh, in the on the no. acreage. I turned. I went into my room, turned on the light, and it ran across my bed. No. And so the next day we got a cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but almost every house I've lived in, we've had mice. Um, when we like Anthony had changed out the washer and dryer and didn't like seal something on the outside, so they were coming in through the like yeah dryer vent or yeah. something. I remember once I was sleeping and I could hear rustling in my nightstand mm-hmm. and uh, Anthony was like, just, just go out of the room. And then I hear all this banging and, and he, he like killed, killed it. it in the drawer. And oh. all I see him is he just like picks up the nightstand and like carries, <laughs> <laughs> carries it out of the house. I'm like, okay. Oh and then my God. Um, once he, once I was in the washroom and I got up and um, washed my hands and then the mouse ran out from behind the toilet. So, like, the whole time it was back there, like, while I was going to the bathroom. Oh, my God. I just, Ugh. like, I, and I say to your kids all the time, like, if they're scared of a bug outside, I'm like, listen, it lives It's their everywhere. house, yeah. It's their it. house. Leave it alone. Mm-hmm. But, my God, if you come into my house. Oh, I know. And, like, get out. I remember once I was at home with Kate and she had, um, she was sick. So, she was laying on me on the couch and it was, like, super quiet in the house. And I looked in the kitchen and one came out from underneath the fridge and no. I was like, <gasps> no. and I like packed her up and went to my parents' house and I was like, I'm not coming back until this is taken care of. Like, no way. But but when we went to move from the acreage, we had a triple car garage and the, it was like a mouse hotel. Like they yeah, were. I remember when we were packing it up. Oh. Every time we opened something or moved something, yeah. we both like hesitated for a second. Yeah, because they there were mice everywhere. There was poop everywhere. They had gotten into everything. They had destroyed a bunch of stuff. There was a big rolled up rug. And I remember my sister-in-law was over and we were trying to move the rug, but we knew there were mice in it. So we were hitting the rug with no. like poles and stuff to try to get them out. 
nothing came out. So then when we got closer to move the rug, then they ran out. So it's like they didn't even flinch. Yeah. Right. And so I got a cat, uh, a rescue cat and put it in the garage with food and everything overnight. The next day in the mouse's, the mouse's car, sorry, the cat's carrier was full of tufts of fur. So it had like, oh, (laughs) gone to town and like murdered. (laughs) It was like the purge, but yeah. But it was so bad that when I, after we moved out out here, away from the acreage, I went and got my car. oil change and the guy calls me and he's like I think you need a new filter and I'm like okay buddy like upsell right and he's like well I think uh there were mice in here there's like a nest in your filter and I was like what and and I was like well how bad is he's like well I didn't I was I'm afraid of mice (laughs) he's like so (laughs) I had someone else look at it but he sent me this picture and it was like a giant I think they had gotten into like a bunch of insulation and then brought it into my van and made a house in my van. God. I know. Oh, so gross. Oh Anyways, trigger warning. We should have said before this, if you're oh, afraid yeah. of mice. Mice. Well, also trigger warning on this episode. Mm-hmm. So um, we gave you guys like a lighter episode last week, but the week before that was a pretty heavy one. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. This one is also very heavy, mm-hmm. but also like, I think we laughed a lot through it and yeah. there were some really positive takeaways. Yes. So my other best friend, Devin, her mom passed away really young. Yeah. So we interviewed her and sobbed through the whole thing. We also interviewed her like at night. Yeah. Um, We were having a ton of technical issues. Yeah. And we then- were drinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like only like one drink. Yeah. Each. But like it was, I was, after we finished, I'm like, was there any like coherent piece of this? <laughs> interview because it we were all just like sobbing yeah and laughing yeah. and sobbing but laughing then editing it I was like sobbing all over again and I was like well this is a nightmare um but I think it was it did just hit so close to home because Terry was such an influence on my life yes um you know so and Devin's my best friend and that's sad so yeah anyway trigger warning box of tissue maybe don't listen while you're driving and yeah Call the people you love after this episode and tell them. Yes. Oh, do you, sorry. Now, <laughs> but in better news, this feels like a terrible segue. <laughs> um, we hit a thousand followers on Instagram. Yay! And so we're doing a giveaway. Uh-huh. So it's, t- oh, are we doing the giveaway at 8 a.m.? No, PM. So if you listen to this episode on Tuesday before 8 p.m., go to our Instagram, go to our Instagram and um, like the photo, tag a friend and make sure you're following us and you'll be entered into a giveaway. And we're giving away one of our mugs, a sticker, a pin and a $25 gift card to Starbucks. Yeah. Okay. So I said that piece. Let's get into it. All right. Hello, Devin. Hi. Hi, Devin. Hi. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Guys, I have to call it out. We're so fake right now because we literally have been attempting to connect with the three of us for an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But here we are. It was not ideal, but we're here. We we did it. Thanks for being on my podcast. (laughs) Uh, Michelle's podcast. (laughs) 
We've known Devin uh, for uh, a gajillion years. Oh, somebody should have done the math before the three of us are going to try and do math together. <laughs> and drink. <laughs> so grade 10, you guys didn't really run in the same, oh. Same what? Did I bring up my girl? <laughs> oh, I heard same boat. <laughs> well, did I? No, I, I was going to say you guys didn't run in the same circle in grade 10. But then I felt bad because My Fair Lady. No, it's fine. You can talk about My Fair Lady. It's fine. I don't have hurt feelings about it still. Okay. It's okay. fine. So we were in My Fair Lady, but Devin did, was one of the ones that didn't get in. I didn't get a part. Um, Even but... though there was like 700 students <laughs> that got parts. It's fine. I didn't get one. It's fine. Oh, my God. <laughs> when we interviewed Jamie for the podcast, she was saying how crazy it was that she was literally the only cast member without a singing part. Like she specifically was not asked to sing. Do not sing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it was like that, but then also I couldn't dance or act. And they were like, no, we just, we can't make this work. So <laughs> You would think then- that like in, I mean, especially because there were, like you said, there were so many people in that play. They, I mean, it should have been like if you audition, you get in, right? Like, there's got to be. It should have been Michelle. Right? It should have been, I'm but sorry. it turns out it wasn't. It wasn't but then, like that. but then, were you on tech? I so I did get a like I did get a tech role, uh-huh. and then I just felt so upset about it uh-huh. that I just told Mr. Doyle that my mom wouldn't let me do the play. And I had to focus on school. And so then I couldn't do tech. Oh my gosh. I don't know why. It must be like a weird like thing that you think of like a false memory. But I swear I remember you like all in black on like in the tech group. I don't know why. No, I think you're thinking of what else did we do in drama? Because I know what you're talking about. I mean, I went on to have an illustrious drama, high school drama career. Okay. Yes. Uh, and did many, many plays, just not that one, right. where you all solidified your friendship and <laughs> I was not part of that group. It's fine. I'm, it's totally fine, guys. I've worked through it. I feel good about it. Oh, Mr. Doyle, if you're listening, <laughs> you have made an enemy for life. <laughs> Well, that is not true. I love Mr. Doyle. Oh my God, truly. We should have him on this podcast. <laughs> oh, you totally should. We should uh, have him, but like the three of us should interview with him. Yeah, that that'd be fun. Amazing. Yeah, because like he, I think, had such a profound impact on like all three of our lives. Yeah, yeah. for sure. But anyway, so we've known each other a very long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm so, so lucky. Literally, like I can't even... Aww. To have you guys. So I thought it would be really interesting to have you on to talk about the story of your mom and because you lost your mom really young and yeah, but sort of like at your journey into parenthood. Yeah, well, I'll I'll sort of I'll tell you what happened. Um, so the first thing you should know is that my mom and I were really, really, really close. Um, I would I she was my best friend. We spent a bunch of time together. We went traveling together. We went on adventures together. My parents were divorced. And so um, while I have good relationships with both my mom and my dad, um, my mom and I lived together uh, and we spent 
so much of our time together. Uh, and so, uh, there, so I was, um, living in New Zealand at the time with, um, my now husband, uh, and we had moved, uh, about a year previously. My husband's parents were out visiting us in New Zealand. And I remember getting, uh, my dad called and I didn't, I, we were out doing something, so I didn't answer. And then like maybe an hour later, he called again and I had, I didn't see that call come in. I had missed it. And I, I, and I looked at my phone and I was like, oh, that's weird. I've got two missed calls from my dad. And then we were sitting in a cafe somewhere and my dad called a third time. And I was like, I better pick up. Like, that's a weird thing for my dad to call three times in three hours. Yeah. And so I picked up. Uh, and just like walked outside of the cafe just so that I could hear him better. Uh, and, um, he couldn't, I I could tell something was wrong, but he couldn't tell me what was going on. Uh, and he just said, uh, is Pete there? My, my husband, uh, and I remember passing the phone to Pete and, and my heart was racing and I was like feeling, I felt like something was really, like really not okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just remember I was, I was, we were outside and I passed the phone to Pete and I remember Pete just looking at me and then just saying, your, your mom had a heart attack. Oh God. And I just, I like disassociated a little bit. Like I remember almost like watching the scene from like, like somewhere not inside my body. Um, and I just remember like fully like losing it on the street. Uh, I'm 24 at the time. My mom is 46. Uh, and, and I was, I was, you know, like a, like a world away. I was in, I was in New Zealand. Mm. Uh, and so I just remember like, what I really remember actually is, Pete's mom hearing me scream on the street she came running out of the cafe like knowing something was really really wrong uh and then just some like really nice shop owner just being like which like why don't you come inside and sit down um and I just remember like all this activity happening around me um and you know like everyone kind of like trying to figure out what was going on um, and not really being able to process what was happening, but what was happening is that my mom had already passed away. So it's not like she had a heart attack and I needed to get home or, you know, it had happened and she was already gone. Um, and we were like, you know, like a 14 hour plane ride away. Uh, so that's sort of like how it happened. I still remember, like, I remember when Lisa called me to tell me and like, it just, I mean, obviously there's no comparison, but like, it just like shook me to my core. Like your mom had such a profound impact on, oh God, now I'm getting emotional. (laughs) Whose idea was it to drink? But she had such a profound impact on my life. And I was, I felt so fortunate to have both of you. And like, just knowing that you were so far away was just awful. Yeah. Yeah. It sucked. Uh, it sucked really badly. And I think, um, it sucked. So, so as you said, like, uh, Lisa called you, Lisa's my cousin and my mom actually called Lisa that night. So she was having some breathing difficulties and she called Lisa and Lisa said, listen, like auntie Terry, 
get off the phone with me, call 911. I'm going to meet you at the hospital. We'll get it all sorted. And by the time she arrived at the hospital, um, she was already gone. So they were trying to resuscitate her. Um, but I think that that's like, for me was, was the worst part was just not being there. Uh, or like she knew she couldn't call me because I was in New Zealand. There was nothing I could do. Right. So I carried a lot of guilt about that for a long time, uh, you know, about being away. So, uh, yeah. And I think, I think so many people like just knew her as like such a bright light and like, she was so vivacious and so funny and so full of life. And so I think a lot of people, when they found out were just like, so shocked. Yeah. I mean, it's just so young. Yeah. Yeah. So 46 is, is, um, I, I mean, I'm 10 years away from, yeah. from 46. Wow. Uh, and I, yeah, I was, I was 24 at the time and it just, we just didn't expect it at all. It was just like completely out of the blue. So there was no, you know, time to think about things or mm-hmm. say those final things that you want to say or, um, you know, do any of that. It was just like, she was here one day and then she was gone the next. So. Wow. Uh, and you had said you had had a really long conversation with her, like the day before or a couple days before. Yeah. So we were getting ready to go traveling around with Pete's parents. Um, and so I, we, we just thought we probably won't have a chance to talk cause we're going to be doing a whole bunch of traveling. Um, so we had a, we had a really nice big conversation a couple days before, Uh, and then, um, uh, we had also like, we were chatting lots. I mean, like, I will say like the nice thing about traveling, you know, at that time period is like, we were Skyping and texting and writing emails. Um, and so some of the nice thing is like, I still have like some of our chats and, uh, you know, like those messages back and forth, um, but yeah, but like we had, we had chatted a couple of days before. She was going to be out in like a month to visit in New Zealand. Like she had a ticket booked. We had all the places we were going to go and visit together. Um, so there was really like no indication at all um, that that you know she was going to die, um, you know, in a couple of days. And, yeah. and then for your dad to have to call you and for him to, I mean give you the worst news ever yeah and not know how to tell you I mean how do you like I I remember having to do that as well you know I had to call my parents they were in Phoenix when my husband died and it was very much like I need to give this person the worst news and they're nowhere near me I can't grab them I can't hug them I can't comfort them you know I can't imagine how he felt too just just knowing that he had to do that yeah. And, and I think, um, that's, that's exactly it. And, and my dad is like a very sensitive person in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like I have gotten birthday cards from him where like, he will circle like the teardrops. He's like, I read this card and it made me cry. Um, so he's like, he's already a sensitive person. And so I think it was, um, yeah, you just feel so, so far away and it's like there's no way to give this news but also like now I have to tell you on the phone Mm -hmm. you know while you're like hundreds of miles away Mm -hmm. it was it was not ideal so I think honestly that's why he asked to talk to Pete is just so that he knew somebody was there with me 
Yeah. Yeah. Who was going to be able to um, support me in that moment. And to be, to be really honest, like it was kind of amazing that Pete's family was there. His, his parents and his brother were, were visiting. And while it, I mean, obviously ruined that trip, we got a flight, you know, like a day later uh, to come back to Canada. But, um, uh, it was just like really nice to have some adults there, like who could just like comfort you. And like, yes, Pete's mom was like, I just like, let's, we're going to make you some like sweet milky tea because like, that's what you do when you hear this kind of news, you know? So, um, so it was actually like really lovely to have them there and have their support, uh, Uh during that time. Um, and what did you have to like tie up before you left um, New Zealand, like, were you, (laughs) yeah, that must've been crazy. So we were fully like working, had jobs, had an apartment. Um, we had a roommate. And so basically what happened is we got the news. Um, we sort of like, I didn't really do anything. Like I was just fully in a state of shock. Mm everyone else like really stepped up and like made all the plans. But the only thing that I insisted was that we buy return tickets. So I was like, yes, we have to get to Canada as soon as possible, but we're coming back to New Zealand. Mm. So buy return tickets. And everyone tried so hard to talk me out of it. They're like, you don't know. And like, just like wait and see. And I was like, no, return tickets are less expensive than a one-way ticket. And we are coming back to New Zealand. (laughs) So they bought return tickets. Um, (laughs) So we got back to, so basically we like Pete's parents finished their vacation. Um, They met up with some of our friends that were there and like uh, still had like I don't think like the greatest of times, but like still did. We said like, we don't want you to come back from this trip. Like it's a once in a lifetime chance, like stay, you know, stay and do the things here. Um, So we basically just left. I called, I was working for a theater company at the time. I called my boss and I was like, Hey, this just happened. I'm leaving. I don't know what's going on. And everybody was just like, so amazing. And they were like, of course, whatever you need, it's not a like, do whatever you need. We're here. It's all good. Um, So we flew back, uh, got back um, and started making, you know, like all the arrangements, like when somebody dies, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff to do. Um, and like we should we should note like you're an only child so yeah, I'm an only child so I don't have any you. siblings to like help with any of that and while my dad was super supportive and like flew out and was here and did all of the things my parents were had been divorced for a very long time mm-hmm. so it's not like my dad like was taking any care of any of the paperwork or mm-hmm. the house or the bills like all of that stuff fell to me mm-hmm. um And so we got back and then as soon as we got back and I was just like surrounded with my friends and my family, I was just like, Pete, like, we can't go, like, I can't go back to New Zealand. Like I'm too messed up to go back to New Zealand. And he's like, yeah, I know. That's why I told you to buy the one way ticket. (laughs) No, not the time, Pete, not the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, so he actually, so that trip is like, like, um, almost like 24 hours, like by the time you make your stopovers and everything. So we flew 24 hours back to Canada. We had like a week here. Then Pete flew another 24 hours back to New Zealand, packed up all of our stuff, like did all, did all of the wrap up stuff, Mm. you know, like moved out with our 
roommate, like did all of that, packed up everything, donated things, did all of that stuff, you know, officially quit at our jobs and then flew another 24 hours back. So in the span of like a week and a half, he had flown like, like 72 hours uh, uh, being on a plane. It was wild. Probably didn't even know. He's still trying to catch up on sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) What what time is it? I don't know. (laughs) Oh man. So yeah, shouldn't have bought those two-way tickets. So <laughs> that's that's one lesson learned. Just uh, oh my gosh, yeah. So so I think um, so so basically what happened is um, there's a congenital heart disease that runs in my family. So my grandma died of it at I want to say 52 or 54. Um, my mom had it. That's what she passed away from. My cousin has it. Her son has it. My aunt has it. Um, so like a lot of people in our family are affected, uh, with, uh, with this heart disease. Wow. Your mom knew that she had it? Yes. So it wasn't the, the heart disease itself wasn't a surprise. Mm -hmm. She had known since her mom had actually passed away. Um, all the kids in the family got tested, uh, and, and she was positive for it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so she, you know, she was taking medication for, for, you know, most of her adult life. Um, you know, and it did affect her, her quality of living. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, it affects like sort of the level of activity that you can do and, um, your breathing and and that sort of thing. Um, so, so she knew about it. Um, and basically I actually went in for a follow-up with her cardiologist after it happened. Um, he had asked if I wanted to meet and when he saw me, he just said like, we did not predict this coming. She was having some problems with her breathing and we were trying to just sort out medication. Uh, and basically, you know, we, we were just trying a few things, um, and, and we thought we were going to get it sorted. Um, but the one thing about this heart disease is, uh, so it's called, um, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, Mm. uh, which basically means just like one wall in your heart grows too big and they don't know why, um, is, is kind of what that name means. Um, and so they, um, the, the one thing about the heart disease is, so one wall in your heart grows too big. It makes it harder for the blood to pump through, um, sometimes can affect your breathing. Uh, but what happens is, is that the cells in your heart should be lined up like bricks, like a brick wall, nice and neat. Um, and the folks that have this heart disease, their cells are all wonky and all over the place. And what it can cause is arrhythmias. Um, and so they don't, so while my mom had a defibrillator in, um, basically like because the cells are all wonky, it can just cause sudden um, heart failure. With And so you can't predict that. It just is what it is. There's no way to predict it. There's no way to prevent it. It just happens. And, and sometimes you can't come back from it. So that's what happened basically. Wow. And she had never had like a heart attack before. No, no. So she had open heart surgery to have the defibrillator put in. Mm -hmm. Um, but she had never had, uh, she had never had a heart attack, um, 
sort of in that way, like problems breathing. Sure. Going to the hospital because you're, you know, you're having some chest pains. Sure. But never, uh, never a heart attack. Wow. And how old were you when you were tested? So I was actually tested uh, when I was five. I was having some problems um, in gym class. And then they didn't know, like my, I think my mom was just like, oh, Devin's just like a fat little kid. So like maybe (laughs) (laughs) she just doesn't like running, Um, which is true. I don't like running. (laughs) Um, uh, I I actually had passed out in the bathroom uh, at one point. Oh no. Yeah. And so they, so I went and got tested. And so for a time, so they, they tested me. I was diagnosed as yes, having this heart disease. Um, and then I was, um, at the time I was the youngest in Canada to have been diagnosed because they thought it only happened in older, um, in older patients, oh, wow. um, wow. like what getting into your teens or early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went till I was 18 years old. I took medication, but it never really affected, like it never really affected me a, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a good quality of life. Um, and then when I was 18, they switched me over from the children's doctor to the adult doctor. They ran a whole gamut of tests again. And the adult doctor was like, it's, you know, you, there's no like test for it, basically. Like the, a cardiologist has to look at your chart and look at your heart and decide, yeah, do you have this or no, do you not have it? Hmm. Um, so at 18, he was like, either you've grown out of it or they misdiagnosed you when you were younger, but you look fine. I would say live your life like a normal person, come in for checkups, you know, once every couple of years and we'll just follow you. Um, so that's, that's what I did. I, I was like, great, maybe I don't have to worry about this. Um, and I lived life like, uh, like a normal person, didn't take medication, didn't do any of that stuff. Um, so so yeah, so jump to a couple of years ago. Um, so after my mom had passed away, uh, still, you know, would go in for a yearly checkup. And a couple of years ago, the last checkup that I went to, uh, the doctor said, yeah, I think we're at the point where we're going to recategorize you. Uh, and my heart was just totally broken Mm. at that point. Um, because for, for a while I thought, Hey, maybe like I've, maybe I've millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Um, skipped this. Like maybe I don't have to worry about dying at 46. Um, and so, it, yeah, it was it was really, really tough news to hear that you have the same thing as you know, the same disease that killed your mom at a super early age. So that was really that was really hard. And knowing that it's a genetic disease, um, means now, uh, that my kid as at has a, a basically a 50, 50 chance of having it. Mm-hmm. And so did that play in when you guys decided to have kids? I mean, I guess like a little bit, but I think because at that point I was not diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, right. 
And while there was the family history, like I was, the doctor was still like, the cardiologist was like, live life like a normal person. And, you know, the normal person in me wanted to have a kid. And so, you know, we did it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I carry guilt about that too. Like my husband's really great in that, like, he's like, okay, but think of all the amazing things that you have given, you know, to Huxley, like maybe you've passed on this disease but like I've also passed on asthma and like I I, you know whatever like he's like everyone has things and like nobody you know there's always a risk that you're gonna pass something on to your kids yeah um and and nobody's immune from that right yeah yeah if we only allowed people who like had no (laughs) family history of anything nobody would have kids yeah and And then even then it's like underlying genetic things when two particular people have children, there are things that pop up because those two particular people are having children, right? It's just the genetics of the whole thing. So yeah, after my twins were born, we found out that so my son had a heart murmur, he had to go for an echo and an EKG and everything. Yeah, And they found out that he had a bicuspid aortic valve. And then all the kids had to be tested because it's genetic as well. And right. two of my other kids ended up having it as well. So, oh, really? Yeah. So now I've got three of them. I mean, it's really, it's okay. Like, it's as, yeah. as far as they are now, they're healthy. Like, it's, it's, it's kind of the same thing. The doctor says, live your life. It shouldn't affect your, um, your, you know, your activity level or anything like that. Just something to watch and maybe could affect them as they get older. But, um, you know, I had to get tested. Anthony had to get tested. Neither of us have it, so it must be farther back. But yeah, like, I mean, we would have never anticipated that our kids would have anything like that either. Right. right. So exactly. you just really never know. And I think too, like actually the positive of that is, you know, now you can be aware of it mm-hmm. and now you can be watching for it and, you know, watching for signs of, uh, you know, if like your kid's like, oh, I'm really tired after I ran around the block. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, maybe it's not, you know maybe it has something to do with this and we can be a little bit more thoughtful about how we, you know, monitor you. Yeah, right? absolutely. So. Absolutely. Not like the eighties when they're just like, Oh, she's, a, she's a Husky kid. Just walk it off. <laughs> I'm sure that's what some of the doctors were saying. Oh, she's just a Husky kid. Fine. Um, oh my gosh. So, okay. So now you have a kid and now you've sort of been re-diagnosed with this. When you got pregnant, can you sort of talk a little bit about what that was like? Because you and your mom were so close and like, God, your yes. mom would have been <laughs> like, so, such a, like I say psycho grandma in the best, like in the all, best way. All my mother wanted was to be a grandma. That is all she wanted so I, she built this beautiful house in Cochrane and she was, she had these hardwood floors in there and she was so proud of the hardwood floors and she'd just be like, come in, look at my floor. Like, I know it sounds like a weird thing to say, but if you knew my mom, you'd, you would like find this endearing and she'd be like, look at the floors, look at how beautiful they are. And then I remember her one time telling me, she's like, you know what, Devin, when you have grandbabies, they can play hockey on my hardwood floors. I don't care. Like They can do whatever they want. You know what's so funny about that is that my parents have hardwood floors and anytime my kids even like breathe next to it, they're like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) so when we had, when we were living in New Zealand, actually, just before we left for New Zealand, um, Pete and I got engaged and then we went for a year to New Zealand. Um, and in that year we were sort of like planning the wedding and like, you know, thinking of, 
you know, starting to make plans and stuff for when we got back and we would get married. Uh, and then uh, mom passed away. And then we waited another five years before I could even start to, before I was okay with where my grief was at, not having my mom at my wedding. Um, because again, that's like something else that we would talk about a lot. Um, you know, and she was just so supportive and so loving and just wanted me to be happy. Basically. Like she was like, I will do whatever it takes for you to be happy. So we waited a long time to get married after we were engaged, but pretty much then like I was pregnant at my wedding. So, uh, But it was sort of around that time that I was starting to get a handle on my grief. Um, And here's what I will say is like, oh my gosh, like therapy is the greatest thing ever. I didn't go for a really long time. Um, And then I got to like a really, really bad place uh, with with my sort of like grief and depression. Uh, And then I started seeing a therapist and it was completely life-changing. Um, and so like whenever I talk to friends who are grieving, um, especially uh, over lost parents, I'm just like, the first thing I'm like, find yourself a therapist, Uh (laughs) like go talk to them. Um, so yeah, it was about the five year mark where I started feeling like I was myself again. And like this thing wasn't taking over every waking moment of my life. Um, and it's such a weird thing. And Michelle, I'm sure you can relate Mm -hmm. in that, like, as soon as the funeral's over, sort of people kind of assume like that your closure has come, uh, and that you were like done grieving. Uh, and then like people kind of forget that like this huge major thing happened in your life. Um, and that, you know, months and years down the road, you are still, grieving for the person. Absolutely. Um, so, so I, it wasn't, it, it was about the five-year mark that I started feeling like, okay, I can live my life like a regular human and like be okay. And we're going to get married. And like, I was ready then to, to start like thinking about having a kid. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, so we got pregnant and had Huxley, um, who I will just say has uses they, them pronouns. Mm-hmm. So listeners don't get confused. Um, when I say they, uh, it's <laughs> my child. I just have one. Um, I think having a, having a kid and not having my mom there was really hard. And especially um, in the first few months or, or the first year even, um, I had really, really bad postpartum depression. Um, and we were at the time living uh, in Montreal. We had a couple of like good friends there, but not really like any close family, um, or like our really like Carling was here in Calgary. Um, my, my other friend, my other best friend, Matthew was here in Calgary. So we didn't really have like our best, best people. And I had really bad postpartum depression. And I just remember I would like call either my mother-in-law or my cousin or Carling. And I would just like sob Mm. on the phone, just like, just like fully cry. And like these poor people like answering the phone and just like, again, not being able to like be there for you physically and like come over and like, come take the baby and like, let you go have a nap or like, you know, all of that stuff. Right. Um, and so I am incredibly lucky to have some amazing people in my life. And my mother-in-law is like, honestly, just the most delightful person. Um, and 
I, I, you know, my father-in-law actually like heard me one day we were like, Huxley was maybe two months old and I like called and I was like losing it on the phone. And my father-in-law literally like booked a flight for the next day and like came to Montreal for like a week or 10 days or something just like just to be with me because I was just like I couldn't handle it um but all I wanted in those moments was not to call Carling not to call my mother-in-law not to call my cousin I wanted to call my mom Mm -hmm. and just be like I need to know that this is going to be okay Mm -hmm. and I need to know that you believe I can get through this and I need to know that like you felt some of these feelings too and I didn't have anyone to talk to about that stuff. Like, was yeah. I a hard baby? Or like, did you have, you know, did you cry in the middle of the night because you were so stressed out? Or like, you know, whatever I was going mm-hmm. through, I didn't have her to talk to. And it wasn't just even having the baby. Like, my mom played that role in my life so much. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was like, I was thinking about a new job or something. Like, my mom was the first person I would call to be like, what do you think about this idea? Do you think this is good? Do you think this is bad? Um, and she always had such great advice for me. And I think even now, that's something like that's one of the things that I miss most about her is just being able to call her and like ask for her advice because she went through so much in her life. And it's it's really hard not having her here to ask those questions. Mm-hmm. But I would say, especially Carling, to your point of like being a mom, like. I didn't know what that was like. Uh, and it would have been really great to have my mom there to sort of help me through the process. Yeah. I remember I was at Cross Iron Mills. You called me and you were crying so uncontrollably. Yeah. And I just remember thinking like, like I, how do I fix this? I'm so far away. Yeah. And I think it was about breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. And I remember just thinking like, I don't know about breastfeeding. Yeah. I don't know who to ask. And I think I, I think I connected you and Michelle. Yeah, yeah we yeah. did end up. I, um, I did call Michelle a, a couple of times yeah. actually, because I was like, okay, it, you know what's happening here. And I don't, and yeah. I just need somebody to talk to. Yeah, I know. Well, and I remember even talking to you and, and feeling like, uh, I like, I know how hard it is and I wish that I could, you know, even just take Huxley for a little while, you know, and, right. and help yeah. you. And because when you are a new parent and, you know, maybe things aren't going the way that you think that they should be going or yeah. not as easy as people make it seem like you do feel alone and you do feel like, yeah, what am I doing wrong? Right. And I, I do remember you felt like it was you you felt like you were doing oh yeah wrong and a hundred percent me just trying to reiterate like no like <laughs> you're not you know but it's such a hard it's just such a hard time I mean yeah yeah and all you want is just like your mom to like come yeah. and like give you a hug and then like take the baby mm-hmm. and then let you like go sleep right yeah. like that's like that's literally what you need at that time absolutely um and, and, and I felt so isolated and so alone in Montreal that it was actually, um, like then we moved back to Calgary. I just said to Pete, like, I don't know if I can do this here alone. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and not alone. I mean, Pete is an, a, such an amazing dad, but it's, it's, you know, when you're trying to breastfeed mm-hmm. and like do those things that are like, it's, it's it's only you like, you know, at three o'clock in the morning when you're like trying to get the baby to latch, like that's it. Like, it's just you. Right. So 
um, yeah, so we ended up moving back to Calgary uh, after only a couple of months of, you know, of Huxley being born because it just felt so lonely and and isolated out there. Um, And at least here we had family and we had a really like, you know, our best friends. um, And and that made a huge difference. And then once again, like, uh, you know, because of my postpartum depression, I like probably waited too long to like go get help. And I think it's like really under recognized in doctors. Like they don't always know, like know what's happening. Um, But then I like started seeing a therapist again, hallelujah. And like that made a huge difference. And, you know, Huxley got older and bigger and I felt more confident as a mom, but there are still some times that like I'll do or say something. And then I, all I want is just to call my mom and be like, what did you do in this situation? Mm -hmm. Like when I was acting like a brat or, you know, (laughs) when I was being stubborn or whatever it is. And I just know to like, they would have just Huxley and my mom would have loved each other. Like absolutely adored each other. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I can see so many similarities. Like I, yeah, it it brings me like great joy to think about Huxley and your mom. (laughs) Like, yeah, they, they would have just totally gotten along and like, they're both a little sneaky and you know, they're both like, sassy uh, yeah they would have just had a blast together so well and and like the love between like a grandchild and a grandparent is so different my mom and I uh, we we butt heads my whole life I mean I love her and we we get along sometimes but like <laughs> my, her relationship with my kids is so incredible like yeah it's just yeah. so cool to see that they are like each other's biggest fans right and yeah. and it's just yeah. so cool so yeah to to not have that would be just so difficult what is it like now sort of like from now is the age that your mom was yeah and what has that journey been like because I know you've you know you and I have talked a little bit about it but yeah so it it is and uh like longevity on my mom's side it isn't really there. Most of the people on my mom's side of the family have died really young. Uh, And then, you know, I know like my mom died from this disease and I have it too. Um, And so there's, it's really hard to stop myself from thinking like, okay, well, like my 10 year clock has started. Like when I turned 36, I was like, okay, well, I, you know, in 10 years, like if I'm alive, I guess like that will be an accomplishment. Um, which is kind of a messed up way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but how can but, you not, right? Well, yeah, and yeah. like it's it is always there and I will say um like the way that I sort of got re-diagnosed was um that I ended up in the emergency room having like really intense chest pains mm. and not being able to breathe. And so I was like, "Oh my god, like I you know, like I don't know what to do here." It brought up a a lot of complicated feelings, Um, you know, being in the hospital and the doctor, you know, like not being able to breathe and you're like in the emergency room and they're like, yes, come on back. Like, Oh, you, I would like to take you directly to a hospital bed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, that's not a good sign. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, so, so I still am experiencing um, some chest pains and probably like, that's not ever going to go away. Like I, it's going to sort of be one of the things that just is there in the background. It's not all the time. It's not bad, 
but it's there. And every time I have a chest pain, like sometimes I'll feel them in the middle of the night. And every time I have a chest pain, I think like, you can't help but think about your mortality. Like you Mm -hmm. can't help, like there's not a way to not relate that to this is how my mom died. Mm -hmm. Um, So PS, you should probably put a trigger warning at the beginning of all your episodes. My God, like you guys just like jump all into like all these like (laughs) super intense. I don't think I've ever heard a trigger warning and like, maybe you should. Okay. (laughs) That's a good note. Noted. Noted. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, so, um, but I think part of the freedom of having uh, my mom pass away so early and being diagnosed with um, the same disease is also like, it's kind of freeing in a way because I don't think that I'm going to live till I'm 80. Like I really, I really, really, if I get to 60, I'm going to be like, wow, like I I'm feeling good. And that might sound morbid. And like, you know, maybe that's taking years off my life. I have no idea, but, but at the same time, like if I feel that way, I also feel a freedom to just do the things in my life that I want to do. And so I rarely get sort of scared or worried, like, should I be doing this? Or is this too hard? Or, you know, like, should we spend our money this way? And, you know, like, we're not like living lavish life over here. I'm not like dripping in diamonds right now. But, um, but you know, when we say like, oh, we want to take a family trip to someplace, like then we save up and we just do it. We don't say like, I, oh, maybe in five years or in 10 years, because I don't know, like maybe in 10 years, it's not going to be possible. So, um, or if there's like a promotion that I want to go for, like, you know, like a new, you know, a new something, I just sort of say to myself, like, you better do it now because you, you don't know if you're going to get this opportunity. And I will say like, one of the things that I'm so thankful for, uh, is that my mom and I had an amazing relationship. And even though we only had 24 years together, those 24 years are probably better than some people's whole lifetimes together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we went on adventures. We, we did all this amazing stuff together. You know, we traveled to all these different countries together. Um, and so I can feel comfortable that like, even though 24 years did not feel like enough time, mm-hmm. um, my relationship with my mom was probably the one of the strongest like kid parent relationships I've ever seen in that time. Yeah. Um, and so like, I just, that's like when I look at Huxley and I look at the things that we do together, I just want to make whatever years we have together. If it's, if it's, you know, 60 years that we have together, great. But if, if I am going to pass away young, then I want to make sure to infuse our relationship with like the most love and the most fun and the most adventure so that they can look back and say, yeah, my mom and I had a great relationship and my mom is part of who I am. And that's how I feel. Oh God, Devin. Oh, God. <laughs> sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't be sorry. That's awful. Whose idea was it to interview you? <laughs> <laughs> no, but honestly, I think that everyone needs to think that way. Yeah. Nobody, nobody's life is guaranteed. I mean, no, you know, I lost Anthony. He was 35. Like, and 
I wish that, I mean, you can put so much into perspective after the fact, right? Like I wish we spent more time or I wish we had more adventures or, you know, we had a, a great life together, but, um, you always want more, but you know, nothing is guaranteed. So just do the things you need to do with the people that are important with you now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's exactly it is like, that is truly the like silver lining in all of this is like, it put stuff in perspective for me and, um, you know, it was really hard to deal with, but once I dealt with it, it's, it's made me go after and and do the things in my life that I just, I, that I want to do. And I don't want to wait to do those things. Um, and I think like, also like, I always know that like my mom would have been like really, really proud of the things that I've chosen to do. Like Mm -hmm. she was always my biggest fan and I know no matter what I choose, she would, she would support me. And so like, I think having that sort of, encouragement, knowing that she would be really proud of me Mm -hmm. is also a really motivating factor. I actually uh, just got a tattoo, a memorial tattoo. Uh, So it was, it was uh, just last week was her 12th anniversary of passing away. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've been waiting a long time because I wanted to get a tattoo for her, but I didn't know you know, all my other tattoos are just like, oh, I saw a cute thing and I'm going to get it. But this one felt like it had to be the perfect thing. And I, and I just, I went through all these iterations of like, you know, maybe it should be an orca whale because we went kayaking together or, you know, maybe it should be, she loved the sentence live, love, laugh, which I know is so corny. (laughs) So like, I never wanted to get it because I knew people would like make fun of me for having live, love, laugh. Um, (laughs) So I, I like went through all these iterations and then I realized she had written um, some journals and in one of the journals, she has this um, paragraph. I mean, in all of the journals, like all of her entries, she basically says like, I'm so thankful for Devin. I'm so grateful for Devin, like just really lovely. But in one of the entries, she like wrote like basically like a half page of just like all the things that she loved about me, like all the qualities that she loved about me and admired about me. And so I like took that journal entry and got uh, the tat, our tattoo artist friend um, to do it in her handwriting. And I just like took the words basically from that entry that I want to live up to. So I have it tattooed on my arm now. I got it done last week. So um, it says, so these are the things that she wrote about me. So it says beauty, intelligence, humor, kindness, generosity, ambition, and understanding. Um, and it's like the perfect, and it's written in her handwriting oh. and it's like the perfect thing. So beautiful. Uh, I'm really glad that I waited so long to get it because now I'm like, oh, this actually is like, I can just look down at my arm and see the things that she felt about me so and and know them to be true so god cut to me writing a journal entry about all my kids like tonight until like three in the morning (laughs) so I do I do actually I do actually every year on Huxley's birthday write them a letter Mm -hmm. um 
about like their year and like the things that I love about them and like what we've gone through and I'm saving all of them and I have them in like a big like manila envelope that says like for Huxley do not throw away very important and I said to I like said to Pete like poor Pete has to like deal with all my like (laughs) you know like I'm gonna die before I'm 60 but I, I showed him where it was and I was like I was like when I die you need to give these letters to Huxley because just like having my mom's handwriting and like having some of her thoughts and stuff like that are things that I go back to a lot um, just to like hear the words and the way that she, you know, the way that she would say things and stuff or phrase things. So um, yes. So go write some journal entries about your children. Well, this has just been an emotional roller coaster. You guys are laughing away. I'm just like sobbing. (laughs) Well, we interviewed uh, Jen last week and she lost her husband and her and I were just like bawling and Carling's like, whose idea was this? (laughs) But it is such a, like, it's such an interesting live your life to the fullest every single day because, you know, as we know, God, this is so stupid. (laughs) It's just like things happen so fast and you, you know, you don't know. So there was actually one girl uh, who I wasn't really that good of friends with, but when I lost my mom, she had lost her dad when she was like 17, I think. I really gravitated towards her just to hear her say like, one day you will be able to talk about your mom and have happy thoughts and memories and have good feelings and you won't be sad. Mm-hmm. And I was like, at the time, I was like, I do not believe you. You are a liar. And then, you know, it did happen. Like, uh, my mom's um, anniversary is September 6th. And we spent the day just looking through photos and eating Indian food and drinking a lot of champagne because that is what my mom would have done. Um, and, you know, it was like actually just like a really like happy, nice day thinking about like nice memories. It wasn't, it wasn't sad. It wasn't, you know, just the most horrible thing. And so I've had a few people in my life lose parents um, in the last few years. And I would say that that's the other silver lining in this is just like being able to help other people through the same thing. And, you know, just, just being able to say the same thing, like one day you will feel better and your grief will be so much, so much smaller. Mm -hmm. And like, you will be able to think good thoughts and and not just, you know, cry at the drop of a hat because of this. So. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's when you lose somebody that close to you, you need people that have lost somebody to yeah. talk to you. I know it's been such, uh, it's been so helpful to know that, like, I know you reach out to Lindy who just lost her mom and, you know, knowing that you know what she's going through is yeah. so nice because I, you know, as her partner, I can only do so much, but I don't yeah. know what, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then even, you know, taking it a step further, like Lindy said a bunch of times, like it's important for her to be accessible to Adrian, Michelle's oldest, because, yeah. you know, now she knows what she's yeah. feeling on a level that nobody else knows. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I I would say like the only other thing that we haven't really talked about is like Huxley and and sort of the implications that this has on them because yeah. this is a genetic you know this is a genetic disease and so uh, you know they have this this sort of fifty fifty chance of having it. Um, How do you talk to them about it? Because they're seven. 
They're just eight. Turned eight. Just turned eight. Yeah. I mean, we talk about it like we talk about anything else, right? Like Pete and I are very open, honest parents. Um, and so Huxley knows like how my mom died and that I have a heart condition and that they could too. Um, but you know, we just talk about like, you know, if you do have it, like there are lots of different ways that it can come about and there are lots of different, like there's lots of different ways that you can lead your life and like, you can still have like a happy, healthy life. And it doesn't mean that like, I'm going to end up like you know, Nana Terry, or that you're going to end up like Nana Terry. So, you know, we just, we try and be honest, but not like scare them. Um, And so there is now a genetic test. So I did get genetic testing done. um, And when they did it originally, they were like, so, you know, there's like 20 markers that we're looking for, but we don't know Like, it's not only those 20 markers. There could be other markers that we just don't know about. And so when I got the test back, of course, I was like, of course, I'm one of the people who, like, didn't get one of the markers. And so they were like, they were like, you know, you still have it. We're not saying that you don't have it. We're just saying we don't know what's causing it in you. But then a couple years later, they called me and they were like, we re-ran the tests. We have some new markers. um, And we found the marker that it is. Um... So that, you know, like it is actually, you do have it. Um, And Huxley's now eligible to go get the genetic testing done. Um, And so we've been, that's like one of our biggest struggles right now uh, is deciding whether to get that testing done because there are three possible outcomes. So either we get the testing done and it comes back and Huxley does not have that marker, that means they will never get this disease. It's completely skipped them. It's not a worry. But the the other two possibilities are it comes back and they do have the marker um, or they do have the gene, but the two possibilities from there are they remain asymptomatic for their entire life. And, and so, and it would never become an issue or a problem. It's not what would you know, like would cause them heart failure in the future, anything like that. They just remain asymptomatic, but they do have the gene. Or the third possibility is they have the gene and then at some point in their life, they become symptomatic. But the problem is, is with option number two, if you, so I like feel really weird about going and getting this test done without sort of Huxley being able to decide like, because what if it comes back and you have the gene but you're always going to remain asymptomatic, but there's no way to know that. But now you've got this thing like sort of hanging over you, Uh you know, like there's life insurance implications. There's all sorts of other implications that may not ever affect you because you may not ever become symptomatic. Um, So we've, we've sort of struggled with that a little bit um, in, in deciding whether to get the test done for them or not. Um, because great, if it comes back and they don't have the gene, great, then we know we don't have to worry. Or if it comes back and they have the gene and they start having symptoms, okay, then we treat it, you know, and they start seeing a cardiologist and do all of that. But it's that second option. If, if they have the gene, but they're never going to have symptoms, I don't know, that's a big thing hanging over you your whole life. Yeah, absolutely. So like, I mean, the good thing is right now, like we live in a place, right, where we can, we have access to 
medical treatment. And so Huxley has already been for an echo um, and a stress test and a Holter and all of those came back fine. And the cardiologist was like, you can come back in five years unless you're seeing some symptoms that you'd like checked earlier. Um, And so because we know that the disease runs in the family, Huxley will never not go see it. Like there will be sort of like either a yearly checkup or like a once every five year checkup for the rest of their life, unless we get the genetic testing done and they don't have the gene. Um, But we're already sort of following them that way. And like any symptoms that they would sort of complain about, like shortness of breath or, you know, fainting spells or anything like that, we know, we know that we have to go get them checked out, like, you know, at that point, right? It's important to go see a cardiologist at that point. So, so yeah, so we still haven't made a decision about whether we go and get the genetic testing done or not. Well, there's not an expiry on something like that, right? No, like you can wait even not at all. five years, right? Yeah. And kind of reevaluate. Absolutely. Yeah. That's so wild. And to think about your grandma or generations before that, like they just didn't have the testing. I mean, literally the testing, the genetic testing that I got done, you know, in, in two and a half years, they made advancements enough that it was like the... I don't know. I'm not a scientist, but, or a doctor or a mathematician, it turns out. So um, I do have other talents. It's none of those things. But, uh, you know, the advancements that they made in two and a half years to go from not being able to find this gene to being able to find this gene. You know, when we were looking through old photos, I have a newspaper clipping of my grandma and they had just done like this really like brand new surgery that like they were just testing out and my grandma was like one of the first patients in Alberta to get it but now it's like a thing that they would just like do all the time like it wouldn't be a big deal at all right so yeah you know I'm hopeful that like the medication gets better and the treatment gets better I'm I'm hopeful that if Huxley does have it um that their quality of life will will be so much better than mine than my mom's than my grandma's wow I know Devin. Uh, thanks, Thank guys. You. Aww, thank you. I'm so sorry that it was like such a sobby. I mean, was there any way for it not to be? I, I know. I don't know. But I just love you so much. I love Aww. both of you so goddamn much. I love you too. We love you too. And Devin, I love you too. Oh, I love you too, Aww. Michelle. And I, you guys, like, I just love, I mean, I not that I loved hearing your story in a weird way, but like it was good. At the end of the day, to be honest, it is a happy story because we got so much awesome time together. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I can't ever be I can't ever be sad about what an awesome mom I I I have. Absolutely, so. yeah. Everybody, hug your mothers, hug your babies, yes, please, hug each other, yeah. Say say all the I love yous mm-hmm. all yeah, the time. As, as soon as this exit outro music plays, I want everybody to pick up their phone <laughs> and send a text message to everybody that they love, letting them know. I love how you're like, do not do it during the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Please, Please complete, wait for the music. <laughs> let's complete the episode before texting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, you guys have a great night and I love you. And Hey we'll guys, love you. Later. Love you guys too. Have a good night. Bye. Bye. Michelle. Hey girl. Similar to Jen's episode. I'm glad we do our intro outro on a different day. Oh yeah. For sure. This would have just been be like, (laughs) (laughs) thank you for listening. Um, But the episode was so good. It was good. It was sad, but important. And, and I love that like you and, 
Steph and had a little bonding. Yeah, absolutely. But guys, this is like kind of our Thanksgiving episode, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so happy We're Thanksgiving. We're thankful for all of you. Like literally. If you are so listening thankful. to this, thank you so much. If you haven't already, please like us on social media. Please like please us. Please like us. <laughs> it validates us. Um, and join our Facebook group. Yeah. So we just we're just getting started with our Facebook group. It's you have to like the page at I did not sign up for this on Facebook. And then there's an option to join the group. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to have like conversations with you guys. So a lot of the feedback we're getting is that people always want to like contribute to the conversations mm-hmm. that we have, which I think is awesome. It's so good. So um, get on there, join it, comment, post, whatever you want. Um, we're still figuring it out. But we're also on Instagram at I did not sign up for this dot podcast and TikTok at I did not sign up for this dot pod. And we're also on Patreon. And if you really loved this episode, we released a uh, extended extended version version of this interview. um, Because when you got the three of us together, we just talk and talk and tell stories. Yeah. Um, So we actually released an extended version of this episode that you just listened to over on our Patreon. So if you sign up for that, you can get access to it right away. And a bunch of other stuff that we have on there. Yeah, we got a lot of episodes on there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I always lose track of how many, but at least seven. I think more than that. Check it out. <laughs> tell us. Look, tell us. Um, okay, happy Thanksgiving. Tell everybody you love them. And we'll have talk a great to you guys day. Later. Bye. Bye.